Our speaker this morning, uh, who's, who's speaking into this missions theme, and just really qualified to be able to do so, and Jeff Colvin. Uh, Jeff, I've known for about um, 18 years, I guess, and, and I can't think of a, a better person to be able to speak. He said, just tell people I'm an ordinary Kiwi with an extraordinary God. And that is the truth of it. So, Jeff, why don't you come up and speak to us this morning? I want to say to you folks, open your hearts as well as your minds to Jeff this morning um, because I believe God's going to input stuff into you and I that we need to be hearing and knowing. Thank you, John. Morning, church. I may not need that. Uh, Awesome place, isn't it? Does it? feels really great coming in here. I mean, and we've got an awesome worship team. Yeah, worship team, why don't you stand up? Come on. Come on. You know, these guys, they, they put in hours into it. They're fantastic. Um, I've just come back recently from Nashville, Tennessee, and I was there at Grace Chapel, in Lepers Ford, and it's uh, amongst all the uh, big houses of uh, these music people, the musos, these rich ones that have really made it, and uh, the church that I went to there, (coughs) they got a fantastic worship team. Can you imagine the musical capital of the world, and uh, uh, they've got musicians and worship leaders there that just are awesome. But I want to say that these guys stand with them. They're awesome. And I've actually been praying for you guys for a couple of weeks. And I believe God's put a word on my heart for you. And I want to share that before I start. And that word goes along the lines of that as you worship, not just leading worship, but as you worship here on stage, leading God's people into worship, that God's going to bring a wave a new wave of worship through this place. And that wave of worship will be focused on the Father. And uh, as all of us worship together from this place, that God's going to open up the windows of heaven and he's going to send his angels to join with God's people to worship. And it's going to be a platform for the Holy Spirit to come and minister and bring transformation and wholeness into people's lives. And so I, I believe there's a, a sense that this, there's a new wave of worship coming. And we've seen waves of worship in the past, like we started off with hymns, and then we got the Garricks and Hill songs, and uh, now there's a new wave of worship coming, and it's going to be focused on the Father. And it's starting right here in you guys. Starting in New Zealand, in Christ Church. And that wave's going to go across the whole world. Hallelujah. Amen. And Mike, I just don't stop being you. Amen. And I'll tell you why later during during my testimony. Um, I want to start off with a scripture verse. And we know that in all things, God works together for good. And so often we stop there. We sing it. But we stop there. But actually it goes on a bit further. To those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And 
if I had one scripture verse that really told the story of my life or my journey, that's the one. I didn't become a Christian until I was 32. Um, I had just recently returned from England from my big OE. I'd accomplished all my goals. I certainly didn't believe in a God. I was very much into evolution. And uh, I had met up with this uh, American guy from the deep freeze base here. And every sentence would be like Mike. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So don't stop being you because you attract people to the kingdom of God. You know that? I looked at this guy and I said, what have you got? What makes you so happy? Because I was empty inside. And I ended up at a New Year's Eve party on the 31st of December 1980. And about 9 o'clock at night, someone had called this guy to come and... Uh, he had been working, but I'd been uh, arguing with new Christians. And so I'd asked a question and they couldn't answer it, so they'd go and ring him up. And um, he'd, after about the third time, uh, he said, I'm going to come to this party, I think something good's going to happen. <coughs> so he turns up at the party about nine o'clock at night and there's about 20 or so people there, mostly non-Christian, maybe two Christians. And he stood up and he said, could everyone leave, please? I want to talk to Jeff by himself. And everyone got up and left. <laughs> left him there with me and he just sat down beside me and opened the Bible and started going through the gospel with me. And I was thinking to myself, this is rubbish. You know, someone once told me there was a Father Christmas who was real and he turned out to be false. So maybe this Jesus person is false too. But anyway, I knew I was empty inside and I said, okay, I'll pray your prayer. You know, I've tried everything else. I'll give this a try. And as I was praying, Father, forgive me, come into my life. Just like that, this light came into my life. And it was like I was in a dark room and someone turned a light on. And I knew at that very moment God was real. In fact, it just absolutely changed my life right at that moment. And uh, I was filled with this passion and hunger to know him and to make him known. I uh, went out the very next day with a, a big black leathered King James version of the Bible to my friend's place. I was supposed to take a, a carton of beer, but I ended up with a Bible. He said, have you become religious? And I said, yes. And I tried to start telling him about Jesus and I couldn't understand. Why can't this guy see what I'm telling him? You know, I, I'm sure you've got friends like that. You try to tell them, but they just don't, don't want to hear. Anyhow, uh, I think three months down the track, I was uh, still just like a sponge. I was going around all the visiting preachers and that came to Christchurch and I joined Bible studies and things around Christchurch and uh, I just finished a camp out at Living Springs with Ray Comfort and I was baptised in the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful experience. Amen? Yeah. Amen? Yeah, good. Uh, I, I got home from work after walking down the street starting speaking in tongues 
and uh, got home from work and uh, my wife confronted me and said, oh, look, I need to confess something to you. Oh, yeah, what's that? I've been unfaithful to you for the last 15 years of our marriage. Oh. <laughs> um, my, I guess at that point my idol of uh, her being faithful to me was completely crushed. And uh, she had been unfaithful with a number of people, uh, unbeknown totally to me. But I praise God that uh, we had a, a, a great home group family that really helped us walk, work through that. And, uh, you know, that scripture verse is so true in that area. God is so good to us when we pursue after him. Um, but that hunger was still there for me. I, I, it kept increasing. And I knew that I had to do something more. And one morning I was in an early morning um, prayer meeting. And someone mentioned YWAM, Crossroads YWAM in Hawaii. They were, that, that was the place that you could go to if you were a bit older, if you were past the youth stage. And uh, something just sparked inside me and said, that's where you're going. And so I shared that with my family, and uh, a couple of weeks later, we all agreed that we were going there, so we applied and sent our applications away. And, uh, and during that time, um, I had a vision or a dream, I'm not sure what it was, uh, but I remember very clearly seeing me taking a team around the United States, stopping cities, sharing Jesus with people, now, I thought it was quite strange at that time because I was really shy. I could not get up in front of people and speak. I was fearful of that. And so I just put that in the back of my mind. And uh, so we went off to um, King's Mansion. So the next slide. So this is King's Mansion in Kialakakua in Hawaii, on the big island of Hawaii. Fantastic place. It used to belong to a king, I think. That's why it's called King's Mansion but now belongs to YWAM. Those of you who don't know who YWAM is, it's Youth with a Mission, so I'm still a youth. Um, and, and John said a couple of weeks ago that I was in my 70s. I'm not in my 70s. Sorry, John, I'm only 69 today. <laughs> not there yet. <laughs> so here we are at King's Mansion, and I joined them for a six-month DTS, Discipleship Training School. Um, now, we had to choose groups uh, in our study times there, and so I chose preaching class. I don't know why, because I couldn't sing, so I was no good in the music class. I didn't really want to do drama or puppets, so I chose preaching class. And so there are some... Uh, so up the back of that house, there's this big like plantation of bamboo. I want to tell you, that bamboo's been saved hundreds of times. <laughs> it got preached at a lot. <laughs> During the uh, lecture phase, we would have uh, lectures every morning and every evening and then do various other things, activities in the afternoons. And halfway through... That preaching class, class uh, not the preaching class, the, the uh, lectures, 
They were teaching us about the Father Heart of God. And uh, we had about two or three days of these lectures on the Father Heart of God. And I remember going sitting out on the grass overlooking the oceans, the palm trees, beautiful place. And we're up on the side of the volcano there. So it was about five degrees cooler than down on the beach. So it was quite pleasant. And I remember sitting there on this grass just saying to God, God, I don't know you like they're talking about. You know, I, just, I just don't know. I, you know. I know Jesus, I know the Holy Spirit, but I don't know you the way they're talking. And I heard God speak to me. He said, Jeff, I need you. I said, God, you need me? God, who created all this scenery I was sitting in, needs me and he said yes Jeff my kingdom is incomplete without you I thought wow that was you know that was really amazing and, and later that day I wasn't actually living in this house I was living in the house about a mile away because we had to walk there every day I was living in a house with two other families and one of these families had two little boys a, a five year old and a three year old and that night I, I arrived home and I was walking into the passageway and this little three-year-old came running up to greet me, saying, pick me up, hold me. And God spoke to me again and said, Jeff, that's how I want you to come to me. Pick me up, hold me. Can we have the next scripture verse up? Yeah, this scripture verse became really, I, I guess, one of my favourites in the Bible at that time. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That word, know you, in the Greek, and, and out of the Hebrew as well, is a, a marriage word. It's only used to describe marriage. And so, and these are the words of Jesus. Jesus himself. Now this is eternal life. That you may have an intimate relationship with the Father. Through Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I was just awestruck by that. And there is a place where we can go to. You know, eternal life is not something that we actually have to wait until we die to have. Eternal life is right here, right now. Because it's an intimate relationship with the Father. Intimacy, as in marriage. The, the same word is found in Genesis 4.1. And Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and brought forth life. So there's an intimacy that we can have with God that produces life. You know, I know when we have children, you know, we don't have to force them to, and mold them into the mother's womb it comes out of intimacy once that intimacy has taken place there's a natural process and throughout my journey I've found that you don't have to go and preach the gospel with any effort because as you have intimacy with the father life is produced automatically hallelujah so after um that experience, after the three months of lecture phase, we went on outreach. We had one month in Honolulu. And uh, 
uh, door knocking. It was, I think it was called the year of the Bible and we had to go around knocking on doors. And then we went six weeks to the Philippines and I was in Manila for six weeks. And uh, again, I was on the preaching team. I still haven't overcome my fear of speaking in front of people. And uh, for some reason, I was made an assistant leader in that preaching team. Our leader was uh, a guy that was had done a previous DTS, and he was uh, our team leader, and I was made assistant leader to him. And, and uh, you'll understand why I'm telling you that later. Um, one of my first encounters in the Philippines was I was walking along the street, and this guy was walking towards me, and he had a T-shirt on, and it said, I'm born again Christian. Well, I need to talk to that guy. So I did. I stopped him and I said, well, do you know what that T-shirt says? You know, No. Are you? No. So I took him back to our base and by the end of that day he was. <laughs> <laughs> Along with his girlfriend. Um, oh, that's my phone. Someone's giving me a happy birthday on my phone. <laughs> So while in the Philippines we were, we were doing street preaching and dramas and puppets and then we'd, we would invite the people that had been at those meetings on the streets to come back to our base and where we would have a, like a, a I guess a church service six nights a week. And that was quite good. We would sit there with different people and our leader would um, be preaching up the front. And... Uh, I was enjoying that for the first couple of days and then our leader got sick and he ended up in hospital. And what happens when your leader ends up sick and in the hospital? The assistant leader takes over. <laughs> so here I was, uh, God was saying to me, I'm going to throw you in the deep end, you're either going to sink or you're going to swim. So I ended up six nights a week preaching every night. And uh, I soon overcame that fear of being in front of people. And uh, another thing that happened while I was there is uh, uh, God filled me with this tremendous love for Asian people. And I really sensed that God was saying something about you're going to be ministering to Asian people. And uh, also God challenged me to stay there. Um, I was uh, living as the locals do. We were in a in a place that was a university belt, but the most of the universities were closed for school holidays. And so we're using their dorms, and uh, the food at night was put out on table tennis tables for us outside with fluorescent lights above them. And these termites would used to fly around in the fluorescent lights, and their wings would fall off. And down underneath where they were flying was our plates of rice. So we actually had a lot of meat, <laughs> lots of protein, and uh, also managed to eat some worms as well. Um, they have a small red worm over there, they mince up and call it mince. <laughs> and they put it in hamburgers and call them hamburgers. <laughs> so I had some of those too. But as I was thinking about that, and God challenged me to stay. 
in the Philippines and stay there for long term. Uh, our toilets uh, could only be flushed once a day with a bucket of water. Um, the heat was tremendous and uh, yeah, it was a difficult place when you're living as, as the people live. And I really fought with God over that, and, but he won. I said, okay, God, I'll, I'll stay if you want me to. And he said to me, okay, now could you go home and send others? <laughs> so I was quite relieved. So at the end of our time, we ended up baptising 32 people in a swimming pool there in a place called Guidelines for Family Living. I, I, they used to be on Rima here, but I'm, I haven't heard them for a while. We had connected with them, and the mission director there had said, you're welcome to use our pool to baptise people. Now, communication with back home was a bit hard in those days. We didn't have internet or cell phones or anything. We had letter writing, and I wasn't very good at that. And my uh, mum and, and sister, who lived in Ashburton, were a bit worried about us, because I was there at the time of Marcus in power, and there was a lot of rubbish going on at the same time. And uh, so I hadn't communicated with them for quite some time. I was pretty lazy at writing letters. And um, could you put up the next photo? That was, uh, that was some of our street drama, and there I am. Yeah, I had black hair in those days, baptising people in the, this Guidelines for Family Living pool. And the people on the, on the side there are waiting to be baptised. But the amazing thing about this is that um, exactly the same time I was doing that, it was Sunday afternoon, it was uh, evening in Ashburton, and my mum and sister were at a meeting that the speaker was the guy that owned this pool, Guidelines for Family Living. And my mum had gone up after that meeting and said, oh, my son's in the Philippines, I'm really worried about him. He's with YWAM, his name's Jeff. And he turned around to her and said, oh, he's fine. He's, he's baptising people at the moment in my swimming pool. <laughs> Who needs the internet when you've got God? So after the Philippines, we went to Hong Kong for two weeks and we were out on the uh, waters over the back of Hong Kong in a place called Aberdeen and we'd go out on these little rowboats around the boat people living there and we'd share Jesus with them. It was a fantastic time. Um, and then our leaders came from Hawaii and uh, it was at the end of our outreach phase and uh, they were giving us certificates of completion American thing, and uh, <coughs> they asked us, okay, what's next for you? At that point, I didn't really know what I was going to do, and so <coughs> I was thinking, oh, God, what am I supposed to be doing? And, and then one of the leaders mentioned, we're looking for someone to lead a team around the States for a night of missions tour. Boom, my hand went straight up, because I remembered the vision that God had given me earlier of taking a team around the States, speaking about Jesus. And so, sure enough, I was made leader of that team again for some reason. 
And we flew out to Honolulu and had a weekend's training, then to LA, and we picked up our van and drove across to Lafayette in Louisiana, where we were to hold our first meeting. And this, this meeting had been arranged by the LA base a few months in advance, and we get to Lafayette and get to this church. It's about a church of a thousand people. And he came in and spoke to the pastor there and said, oh, we're here, uh, you know, we're booked to go. Oh, I'm not really interested in you guys. I've got this speaker here today. Mary Ann Brown, is, her name is. And so the slot that we were supposed to have was reduced down to five minutes. He said, you can have five minutes, you know, but oh, I really want the speaker to come up. Okay, so we did our little piece, only five minutes worth, sat down and the speaker got up, Mary Ann Brown, and she first words out of her mouth was, I want to endorse everything these people from YWAM said. And she just really raved on about YWAM and what we'd said. And so we felt, I guess, a bit vindicated over that, and we felt the, the senior pastor was getting down in the seat a bit lower, so that was fine. <laughs> But we really enjoyed what she had to say and uh, so we weren't supposed to go back to the evening service to do anything so we just went back to listen to her. And uh, so we sat there in the evening service that night and about 30 minutes into her teaching, she stopped. She walked down off the stage. Now this is, we were sitting maybe halfway down, church of about a thousand people. And she started walking down the alleyway and she was saying, young man from YWAM, I've been praying for you all day. And the Lord wants to say to you, can you have the next slide up, thanks. You shall go from dry hole to dry hole, bringing fresh revelation from the word of God. You shall lay hands on the sick and they shall be made whole. I was sinking down in my seat as she kept coming closer to me. And uh, I want to say that, you know, I've seen all of that come true. We returned to New Zealand and I uh, said, what now? I, I tried to go back to my old job and God rebuked, rebuked me. He said, you're just trying to get back into the old way of life. And the elders came to me. I was actually going to Papua Nui Baptist at that time. And this was round about the Tuesday. The elders came to me and said, uh, what's God got for you? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> they said, well, spend a couple of days in prayer and come and talk to us Thursday. And so I did. And I went and I really felt I was to offer myself a full-time service at the church. But I thought, they're not really going to you know, listen to that because I'm a, still a new Christian. So got to the meeting and told them, well, I believe I'm meant to offer myself to full-time service. And I said, oh, good. God told us that six months ago. We've just been waiting for him to tell you. <laughs> so by, by the Sunday, I was working full-time for the church, but I was working by faith. They uh, couldn't afford to pay me any money, but that was fine because I'd already lived for the last nine months trusting God anyway so um, and I'd sold everything so I had nothing I'd sold everything just to go to YWAM uh, so started there 
uh, and living by faith. The first Sunday, got back to this church and uh, to the first service after I'd been away for nine months and and I was sort of a bit of an outcast because I was this weird guy that sold up everything and went and served Jesus. And that's not the thing you do, you know. We're good Baptists. <laughs> and, uh, but God provided for me because uh, there's a couple that arrived late because it was daylight saving, the first day of daylight saving. They arrived at the service at 11 o'clock thinking it started then. <laughs> <laughs> but they were actually the South Island directors of YWAM and they'd moved from Gore to Christchurch to set up a YWAM base in Christchurch. We just hit it off straight away, you know. I think there's something about a YWAM spirit or something, I'm not sure, but we just bonded straight away and, I, and I, they, they told me they were looking to set up a, a discipleship training school in Christchurch and I said why don't you use our church? Because at that time, our, uh, I don't know if you remember, um, the, the pastor was leaving to Dunedin and our new pastor hadn't come in yet and we had about a six-month gap of no pastor and I was there by myself in full-time ministry. So <coughs> they, they said, oh yeah, the facilities look good, we'll... I said, let me go and talk to the elders and uh, I'll try and get back to you as soon as I can about an answer because, you know, it is a Baptist church and you have to set up committees. And um, within 20 minutes they'd said yes. And so we started at that point organising uh, the first discipleship training school in, at Papua Nui Baptist Church. And that was in uh, 1985, yeah. So January of 85. Um, so I had a number of portfolios. Most of them I was called outreach coordinator. And so I was outreaching all different types of uh, outreaches around the city. But also missions was my heart. But there was no missionary committee. We had no missionaries and, uh, and so I just got before God and said, Lord, I want to see 10% of our people involved in missions within five years. And so from then on, I, I, I preached and encouraged people in missions. Um, one night I was, uh, well, about three o'clock in the morning in a, in a June, which was really cold. I was sound asleep in bed and I got woken up by someone calling up my name, Jeff. And the scripture verse was really beaten strong in my heart. Read this scripture verse, Ezekiel 3.22. And so I went back to sleep. You know, it's three o'clock in the morning, come on. And I was just getting off to sleep again and this voice came again, Jeff. Read the scripture verse. So I thought I'd better respond to it this time. So I read it and it says, get up, go out to the plains and I'll speak to you there. So I thought I'd better do that. The, the closest plains I could find was the, in front of the kitchen heater. <laughs> it was cold outside, come on. 
And so I did, and, and God just really spoke to me. You know, Meadow Park Campground, the end of Cranford Street there. And God spoke to me very clearly about setting up an outreach at Christmas time there. And so that was great. So the next day I, I, I shared it at the church, and uh, they all agreed. So I went and saw the owner of the campground, who happened to be a JW. <laughs> And he said, yeah, fine, come in and preach about Jesus, you know, that's great. <laughs> and uh, that was good, so we set up a team to go in, and, and my idea was that we'd put up a marquee and run a children's ministry and maybe do a co coffee bar at night. And um, <clears throat> and so about two weeks before we, we started the um, outreach, I went back to the uh, owner and he said to me, oh, look, I'm really struggling to see where I can put up a marquee for you because we need all the space over Christmas. He said, you know, we've got this conference room area and dining room. You're welcome to use that because we only use that for bus tours and there's no bus tours in at Christmas time. And it's got kitchens on the end and dining room and a conference room upstairs. I said, oh, that's great, ideal. So we thought it was all go. We could really see God's hand of blessing on this. And uh, so get there the first day, set up to have the children's program. Uh, one thing we hadn't bargained on, of course, was it's a city kink round, and there's no one there during the day. They've all gone. And here we are, our team ready to do the work, but there's no one there to do the work for. And so, okay, God, what are we supposed to do now? And uh, we suddenly looked at the dining room and the kitchens and uh, we thought, here's a good idea. Let's put on meals for the, for the campers so that they, when they come home, they don't have to cook a meal. They can come and we can give them a cheap meal and, and uh, we can preach the gospel to them. And so that was fine. We had free use of the kitchen, power, everything. He, you know, the owner of that campground supplied it basically everything to us, free of charge. And so we set up, and the first night we cooked, I think we sold 18 meals. We thought we were doing really well. We had the dining room, which seated 60 people, all set up with scripture verses all over the place and, and posters, and every table had um, tracks on it. And uh, by the end of that week, we were doing 180 meals. Uh, I think the most we ever did was 220. But the beauty of that outreach was just seeing the church work together. You know, we'd have people in the kitchen and they were smiling and laughing. And people would come in who were campers to buy a meal and they would look and say, why are you guys doing this? What a, what a silly question to ask. Um, and it was a, a real platform for the youth group they come in and they'd serve the tables and they'd sit down with people and share Jesus with them. And uh, the second year we did that, we had people coming from Europe saying, we heard about this in our own country and we wanted to come and stay here. Amazing. On the third year, uh, we'd, and I think we did it for three years, in the third year, I had a guy come up from Dunedin and he said, I've been waiting all year to come here for this because I knew I had to talk to someone. And he was going through marriage problems and so he naturally became a Christian at that time.
Um, so I continued to preach and encourage missions. I took the short-term mission trips overseas into the Philippines and Thailand. And uh, one of the things that, that bothered me was uh, missions finance. It always seemed to be draining the church. So I thought, I prayed and said, God, there must be a way of, of, of getting money out of the world and using it for God's kingdom. And so we started by uh, making cushions and selling them at garage sales, which led to uh, eventually um, opening up a missions business. And so we opened a shop uh, selling Manchester and uh, soft toys and bits and pieces, ends of lines. And the vision that God gave me for that was that it was to be run by volunteers, that no wages would be taken, and all profits would go to missions. And it was really successful for about 12 months, and uh, the elders of the church were always bothered by me living by faith. I had no problem living by faith, because I just saw God's provision all the time. But... It concerned them, and they encouraged me, because the business was making so much profit, they encouraged me to take a wage from the business. And I said, God, there's something about that that I just couldn't agree with. Um, but eventually, because it was biblically correct, the worker is worthy of his wages, I said yes to it. And so at that point, we opened another four shops. So we had five shops altogether, uh, one in Timaru, one in Ashburton, and three in Christchurch. And uh, they were going along fine for a while. But then I was ready to take a team out to Thailand for six weeks, and, um, and I knew there was something wrong. There was something wrong with the business because uh, it just wasn't being profitable like it was before. And, uh, but God wasn't revealing anything to me. And we had uh, a business team over the over the business and we were praying and asking God to reveal what was wrong but there was nothing coming to light. And so I went off to Thailand and uh, took, uh, took the team to Thailand and while I was there I got a telegram to say that uh, the business had to be closed down. And so the, the elders had appointed one of the deacons who was a businessman uh, to help my wife Close the businesses down. And I just cried out to God. I said, why? You know, two of my favourite prayers. Help? Why? <laughs> and I just said, why, God? Why is this happening? And God just suddenly revealed to me, Jeff, you went off the vision that I gave you. Because the vision was never to take wages from the business. It was always to be run by volunteers. So my hand of blessing can no longer be upon it. And so the lesson I learned out of that is never give your vision away. Never let someone else control the vision that God gives you. You know, he's given it to you. You need to pursue it. You need to run with it as God has directed. So I returned to New Zealand um, to find that you know the business closed down and I helped uh, close that down. But the other thing that happened at that stage was 
the deacon and my wife had got into a relationship together. And so it was sort of like a big crash. And uh, <coughs> it's not something I want to... Uh, you know, I, I told John I struggle sharing about this because I don't want to, people to run out and think they can get divorced. Because you know, the Bible doesn't teach that. God spoke to me personally in that time and uh, showed me that it, I could get divorced at that point because it was like, a, like the earthquakes. You know, some houses could be repaired. Others had to be pulled down and rebuilt. And God said to me, it's time for you to rebuild. Um, the interesting thing was two things happened there that the amount of debt we had on the business equaled exactly to a dollar the amount of wages we'd paid out. And sitting in an AGM at that time and a um, pastor put up on a board the number of people involved in missions. Now this is four and a half years after I'd started full time. I remember the vision I had, the, the you know, 10% of the people involved in missions within five years. So he put a list of names of people up on the board that were involved in missions. 150 membership church, so that should be 15 names. There were 46 names up on the board. And God said, Jeff, your work is finished here, move on. So at that point, I did. I'd, uh, I guess I'd lost my marriage, my home. My ministry had ended. I think it's time to change my name. I think I'll call myself Job. <laughs> but God is an amazing God. Romans 8, 28. No, no we haven't got it. Okay. Uh, there, there is. <clears throat> you know, God will take our worst experiences. And if we love him, and if we're pursuing after him, he will turn those things for good. Yeah. So I moved back home to my mum. And uh, it was a special time because that really built our relationship. She had also done a discipleship training school at, in Hawaii at the, at, uh, the main base in um, Kalua Kona. Um, and it was a time for me rebuilding my life. I never lost my passion for God. It continued to increase. And, but I thought, for me, I've missed God's plan now. You know, God's plan for my life. Okay, God, what's plan B? God spoke to me at that point, And he said, you're going to have an Asian wife and a daughter, I thought, ah, I was 40 plus. I was, thought I was uh, going to be single for the rest of my life, but um, well, this is what God said. I'm going to have an Asian wife and a daughter. Five years later, I was in a table tennis club, and this young Japanese lady was there, and she liked me for some reason. <laughs> and so two years later, we got married. And in 2005, we had a daughter. 
God is faithful. And so, uh, but because she was Japanese, my, that ignited that whole love for Asian people again that God had put there originally. And so, <coughs> we ended up uh, finding out about Japanese Christian Fellowship in Christchurch and then uh, joined, joined there. And in 1999, um, this young guy came in, and a uh, young Japanese guy, and he was sitting in the church, and uh, God spoke to me and said, go and talk to him. So I went over to him and I said, hi, I'm Jeff. And I said, are you a Christian? He said, no, but I want to be. I said, why, why aren't you? He said, oh, it's too difficult. I said, no, it's not. Look, you just pray this prayer, and... So he did, and he became a Christian at that point. His name's Hidea, and uh, he went to Bible college after that. Um, now before he went to Bible college, his wife came, his partner, his girlfriend came from Japan, and they were going to get married, and so I had the, the privilege of leading her to the Lord before they got married, and uh, they've got, they got married, and uh, they've got a 14-year-old son who was baptised about a month ago. You know, it's really good to see that fruit that comes out of intimacy with God. But in meeting Hedea, he had gone, had uh, been involved with a place called Rodham House. And Rodham House is a, uh, this is the old house we had, but at that point, point uh, it was started up by a guy called Young Gi Lee. He is an a, a ex-YWAM uh, Korean guy. He had come to New Zealand because God asked him to go to North Korea. So he came to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, sort of, yeah, right. His, his geography may have been wrong. <laughs> but you see, the reason he came to New Zealand was because he needed to get a New Zealand passport because as a South Korean, he couldn't go into North Korea unless he had a New Zealand passport. And so God brought him to New Zealand. And he, when he got to New Zealand, he had been in, in Bible college in Korea for four, four years. He had done all his degrees, had all the letters after his name. He could be a reverend if he wanted to be. But he had a passion for people. And uh, so I met him at Japanese church. He used to be a gatherer. He would bring lots of people along, lots of Japanese and that into Japanese church. And the moment I met him, it was like we were brothers. We were just, our passions were so alike, our, our desire for things was just so alike. And so we really got on well. And, uh, and in the end of 1990, we, he purchased this house. He had no money, but he purchased this house. I think it was about 300000 at the time. And it was about 3,000 uh, square metres, the land. Uh, this house, big old house, had at that point seven bedrooms in it and upstairs was a large meeting room. Just the, all of the upstairs was just like a, uh, a rumpus room. And so I just joined with him and started helping him renovate that house and we managed to get it up to nine bedrooms, and uh, it became, well, part of his vision was 
uh, a resting ministry for missionaries and pastors. The name Rodham House, it comes out of 1 Kings 19 when Elijah was, had just finished battling with the, the bulls and uh, defeated them and Queen Jezebel put a um, death threat on his life and he was running through the wilderness and he came to this bush and he sat down under this bush and he said, God, I've, I've had it. I'm worn out. I've had enough. I just want to die. And angels came and, and fed him, refreshed him twice and he got up and continued to serve God. Well, the name of that bush in Korean is called Rodham. And it sounds a lot better than Broom House. Rodham House. It sounds a lot better. And so the, the number one ministry of Rodham House was, first of all, to um, pastors and missionaries who needed a rest, needed a place where they could come and, and stay and be refreshed and then continue on their work that God was leading them. And also, both of our hearts were, were uh, for reaching Asian people with the gospel. And so, Yungi asked me to, to come and join with him and uh, do an English Bible school. And so, started that and uh, was teaching five Korean students uh, just training them up to be Christians and disciples. And, uh, yeah. and at that point, we were able to start what we call an international outreach ministry. And so every Tuesday night, we'd cook a meal, we'd have free English classes first, then we'd prepare a meal and feed students because the, the, the people that come here for free English, particularly Japanese, love free food and free English. So anything free they love. But we created a, a place that was friendly, that was welcoming, that was safe for them. Because many of them uh, are away from home for the first time. And uh, it can be quite fearful for them. So uh, we created a place that was warm and inviting and caring and we fed them and then we were able to preach the gospel for them. And so over the years, we've seen hundreds come to the Lord. I've, had, I've just had such a privilege and honour of being able to be involved in so many people's lives of sharing the gospel with them and praying for them to receive Jesus. In 2003, we had a guy called Kyung Young Kim. There's a mouthful for you. He, he, he had been in YWAM in Korea. He came to Auckland. He was in Auckland for three months and heard about Rodham House. And God invited, sort of encouraged him to come down to Christchurch. And he had turned up. He's a great worship leader as well. And so he became very much a part of our ministry here. Um, And we also started a Saturday soccer team. Our young Asian boys love soccer. And so we had that. And uh, I'll, I'll talk about that later, just to get through some time. So our international meetings, we were getting averaging about 80 every Tuesday night. The most we had at one time was 120. And... Um, 
in 2005, we, um, we were having financial problems with the house. Remember, we had no money when we started with. We bought that, and we had quite a large mortgage on it. We were always finding a struggle to, to get finances to cover everything. And so we decided to subdivide. And so we subdivided two sections off the back and, and had enough money to rearrange out the mortgages on the place. But also, Yangi at that time felt called to go to Thailand and set up a Rodham house in Thailand. And so he took, I think, about 50000 of the money we had, and this is what he purchased. Next. Next slide. Uh, no, keep going. So this is, this is just some of the things we've done. Baptised a lot of people. That was one of the meetings in a year. Uh, this is Thailand Robin, Rodham House. So here is a five-storey building we purchased in Thailand. And that is actually the second floor, the, all where that is. The, over there they built a mezzanine floor of, of footpath all around the building. And so there's another story underneath there. But this meeting part is right where that awning is. And uh, they also are having Tuesday meetings every Tuesday night, feed people, and gets filled up. I went, I think that meeting there I was speaking at, and uh, it was not just people standing uh, inside, it was people standing outside as well at that meeting. And... Uh, so Rodham House was set up. And then uh, because Young Gear was leaving, both myself and Kyung Yong were appointed as trustees of um, the ministry and continued to meet every Tuesday night and see many leaves, lives touched for Jesus. In, in 2008, I was um, at a... Japanese church uh, elders meeting and they had mentioned about this couple that had just finished missionary work in South Africa and was going back to Japan. Now he was, Hayato is his name, now he's Japanese that actually got saved here in Christchurch through Seafield, Christ, uh, Seafield English School and Japanese church and he went on to go to Bible College and then got joined WIC and went to South Africa where he uh, met this young Indian lady and they got married and they stayed in WIC and South Africa for a while and then on their return back to Japan they came to New Zealand, came to Christchurch and unbe they came to Rodham House meetings and unbeknown to me they had said to God, we want a ministry just like that. At the time, God was putting on my heart to set up a Rodham house in Japan. And the particular city that I really felt we had to start in was Kyoto in Japan. And uh, these guys were going back to Kyoto in Japan. And they just finished with WIC. And uh, they had said, I want a ministry like that. And uh, so we were talking about this at... Uh, our elders meeting, and God just said, there's the guys to set up Rodham House there. So I contacted um, them, and they said, yeah, we're keen for this. 
And I, so I contacted Young Gi in Thailand, and I said, let's meet up in Japan. And so we did. And the next photo, I think, might be the right one. Yeah, that's me speaking in a church. That's Hayato uh, translating for me there. And this is the first Rodham House meeting in Kyoto. And so there we have uh, uh, Myanmar, India, Iran, England, Russia, Japan, and uh, Korea, and a Kiwi there as well. And so the, the, the Iranian couple, they were Muslims. The Indian guy was Hindu. And they're all at the Kyoto International University, which is one of the top PhD universities in Japan. And they're all doing double PhDs or something, triple PhDs. They're pretty intelligent people, but they loved talking to us about Jesus, you know. And that ministry still continues. So that was, uh, that was started in about 2008. 2010 here, again, we were having financial difficulties, you know. And I would say to God, oh, God, why are we having so many problems? Why? If this is your work, why are we always struggling for money? Why do we even have a mortgage? And... Um, I was going, coming home from work one day and uh, really felt to go and talk to a friend of mine who's a builder. And uh, he used to belong to St. Norman's Baptist Church, actually, <laughs> when it was in Thames Street. But he was my best man at my wedding. And uh, we, we had got on really well together. And I thought, I'll go and talk to him. I just really felt on my heart to talk to him. And we were sitting down talking together. and He said you've got non-compliant work in that building. Yeah, that's right, we sure have, because you know, it suddenly struck me, yes. And I suddenly was in agony, because I realised that... Um, can we have that next scripture verse? You know, this, this was the verse that really started talking to me at that point. You know, we were not compliant to what the council wanted. And we had um, work in that house that had been done by a lot of Korean people who did not understand New Zealand law at all. And I knew about, they had extended the kitchen out and pushed the stove further in, and they just wired up the wire with another piece of wire and put a bit of tape around it. That's fine. That's fine, might be fine for Korean, but wasn't for New Zealand, and where that stove was, where that kitchen was, it was uh, both fire escapes to the upstairs were beside that kitchen. So if we had have had a fire at that point, um, we could have lost 80-odd people, you know. And my heart just grieved, and for a couple of days I just really came before the Lord and said, but... Lord, I thought your blessing was on this ministry. But he said, no, it wasn't my blessing. It was just my grace and my mercy. You know? And so we had a leaders meeting and, and we closed down. We decided we needed to close the ministry down. This was uh, beginning of 2010. And we asked the city council to come and inspect and found out that it was going to cost around about $150,000 to fix it. So for about 10 months, we met and prayed together. 
really seeking God what we could do. And we, we put a few fleeces out, and then the earthquake struck. And so we had a few bit of damage in the house as well. And so we decided at that point we needed to sell and just really start again. And so we did put it on the market, got the price we asked straight away, paid it, all the debt, and said, okay, God, we've got $200,000 left. What do we do with it? You know, we can't, we can't build anything for that. We can't buy anything for that. And God spoke to me very, very uh, gently. <laughs> he said, put it in bonus bonds, and I'll give you a million dollars. That would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> One year later, I got a phone call from Dunedin. Oh, is this Rodham House? Yes, congratulations. You've won the first prize in, in bonus bonds. So we got $1 million. Wow. <laughs> Isn't God good? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we increased the trustees, and at that point, I actually stepped down from my major leadership role, and Kyung Young and So Young were appointed. Next slide. So that's Kyung Young and So Young. They actually met at Rodham House and got married there. And they've been appointed as mission directors of Rodham House here in Christchurch. Uh, we've purchased a new house. It's mortgage-free. And we've invested the remaining money. And that is paying for the ministry. Uh, Kyung Yong and, and So Young still live by faith. But the actual running of the ministry itself is, um, is covered by what we have. So we're meeting now, the international ministry is meeting every Tuesday night. Uh, we meet at City Church, and you're welcome to come around. I've got some pamphlets down the front, if, uh, if anyone would be, just feel that God's calling them to be involved in a ministry like this. It's a fantastic ministry to be involved in people's lives. Um, I just want to close up now as I've been told to. <laughs> I could talk for another couple, oh no, better not. You know, when, uh, when my marriage broke up and I felt to myself, I've lost God's plan. You know, okay, what's plan B? And God speaks to me and says, there is no plan B. There's not even a plan A. I've only got one plan. We have the next... Uh, you might have to flip over about three. Keep going. Keep going. John 3.16. Yep. For God so loved the world that he gave his own and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We have three things in there. First of all, for God so loved the world is not the gospel. It's the motivation for the gospel. That he gave his one and only son. That's the gospel. His sacrifice for our sins. But what's his goal? What's his plan? So that we shall not perish but have eternal life. What's eternal life? What Jesus said. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, be intimate with me. 
an intimacy that produces life. That's God's plan for our life. His plan is not based on programs, agendas, ministries. It's based on intimacy. And problems, wrong decisions, when the spanner gets thrown in the works, when we make mistakes, it doesn't change God's plan. Sometimes we become so focused on our ministry that that becomes our relationship with God rather than our relationship with God producing our ministry. So our ministry needs to come out of that intimacy with God, intimacy with the Father. You know, we all of us need that place where we can just go say, pick me up and hold me. Pick me up and hold me. You know, that's a beautiful place. I appreciate what Simon shared last week about intimacy with the Father. We all need to come into a place of that intimate place. And he'll do amazing things through your life as you, as, as you come into intimacy. You know, for many of us, we try to pursue God by doing things. But we need to, first of all, know God. Know him in an intimate way. About six months ago, when I first started coming here, a word that God put on my heart for this church was, don't settle for some. You know, the sum of Jesus that you have now. Don't settle for that. Don't be content with that. There is so much more available. Jeremiah 33.3. I think we've got that coming up. Yeah. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Don't even try and think of what they are because you're not going to know it until you call to him. Hebrews 12.2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of faith. An author writes books. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, he writes new chapters of faith in our heart. I want to close doing a couple of things. First of all, if, if you're not a Christian here today, um, don't leave this place without becoming a Christian today. Uh, I spoke to a guy some, some years ago, young guy, about 20 years old, had the world at his fingertips. And I spent about an hour and a half talking to him about Jesus. And the, the last word he said was, uh, I'm not going to become a Christian yet. I've got too much living to do. The next day he was hit by a car and he became a vegetable in a hospital bed. You know, living doesn't start until we accept Jesus. That's when living really starts. We don't know what's going to happen the moment we step out of this door. So don't leave this place without committing your life to Jesus. And also, if you want to come into that intimate place, and, and it may be something I've shared today, it's just 
challenge something in your heart that you want to know more. Just, just Maybe you want to make the front of here your altar. Maybe you want someone to pray with you. I don't know. But come forward as, as these guys worship. Come forward and say yes to God. You know, that, that just walking forward is an act of surrender. And God will honor you in that. Yeah. The last thing, that prophecy that God gave to me, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall be made whole. I want to step out in faith today and say, I'm going to claim that today. If you have anything that you want to get dealt with today, that you're not whole in any area of your life, that includes physical, spiritual, emotional. I want to lay hands today and claim that promise that you'll become whole. If you want that to happen today, as these guys are worshipping, let's do that. Amen? Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thanks so much, Jeff.